episode of 30 Minutes with DailyStraits.com. Today we have a very special guest with us, Greg Brebner, who is an inventor and founder of the revolutionary umbrella brand Blunt. A pioneer in his industry, he takes ordinary products and turns them into extraordinary experiences. Inspired by his father and having grown up in the workshop, watching him create amazing things from basic materials, Greg's extraordinary talents have evolved over time as he focused on the idea of creating a product that would stand the test of time and have mass global appeal. Originally from Auckland, New Zealand, Greg grew up in a small farm, spent a lot of time on the ocean and enjoyed a free childhood in the great outdoors. Greg moved to London in 1999 for an overseas experience after graduating from Auckland University with a bachelor's in mechanical engineering. It was here that Blunt was conceived. So today we're going to talk to Greg about the difficulties he had starting the brand and also marketing a business with a single product. Hi Greg, how are you today? Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank right. you. Good to be here. How are you? Good, thank you. So no worries. Uh, Alright, let's just dive right into the question. Sure. Alright Greg, um, after conceiving the idea for Blunt in London, how did you go about validating your business idea? I think to start with, um, it was really just my own personal insight that umbrellas just needed a lot of work and they weren't giving people consumer experience that they should be and just the potential in the product, given that it is a fashion item, I just felt instinctively that it was the right thing to do. So it was a long time before I actually, I guess, officially validated it. And it wasn't until, I guess, even five years later when I had a prototype and tried to sell some, that it was confirmed that it was the right thing to do. So yeah, initially it was just run on instinct, really. So you didn't go around uh, asking people, what do you think of this idea? Or you just, you just went on with your instinct, right? This needs to be done. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people thought I was crazy because the umbrella, everyone has lost respect for it in terms of value. So no one was prepared to pay any good money for it. So it was like, everyone was like, why are you wasting your time on something that people don't want to pay money for? So I could ask them if they thought they wanted a better umbrella and everyone was like, yes. But the fact was that no one was really prepared to pay for it until they actually saw the result. All right. So you went to London for work, right? For a work experience. Is that is that right? Yeah, it was just an overseas experience, so it was pretty casual. And um, yeah, it wasn't long after I arrived that I um, just saw all these umbrellas on the streets, which we don't normally see so much in smaller cities like in Auckland, where I'm from. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty that, that initial insight that sparked my interest. Awesome. So you said just now people um, thought you were not you were crazy. Is that is that right? So you did tell people that you wanted to do this. It was who was it? Was it your friends or your family? Especially um, if both. Oh. So, yeah, both really. It was, um, I think I always wanted to invent a special product and just the umbrella, I, I just got an obsession with it. So I think it was my obsession with wanting to do something with it that took so long that made everyone think that I was a bit nuts uh -huh. because it's not uh, probably a healthy thing to obsess over an umbrella. So um, yeah, that, that was where, where it all started. So it was in 1999. So how long did it take for you to act and work uh, as a, on the first prototype? Like how long did it take? So the process went like this. So the first 18 months I got nowhere. So what I was really trying to do is, um, I guess, revolutionise everything about this product. And um, I was getting nowhere because I was just trying too hard. But when I realised that I needed to take the traditional umbrella and just keep the good bits from that, and then work on the, um, the bits that weren't working, that's when I got my, um, my first, I guess, bit of success. But it was, um, I think it was about four years down the track 
by the time I actually had a working prototype. So it was quite a drawn out process. And it wasn't that easy. <laughs> so who, who produced the prototype for you? Was it in London or did you outsource it? No, I, um, I lived in London for about two years, two and a half years, and then I came back to New Zealand and that's when I started doing the prototyping for real. Before that, I was just on the, I guess, the floor of my flat trying to work, work away with really basic tools, which um, was only good for so long. Uh-huh. All right, so, um, okay, so you produced your first sample in the music in Auckland, um, and then how did you test it? Well, the testing was really just real-world testing. So um, I lived beside a um, hill called One Tree Hill in Auckland, and it's um, Auckland's sort of renowned for bad weather at times, so whenever the weather got bad, I just went up that hill with my latest prototype and, and tried to test it. So um, there's nothing like real-world testing. It's just, I guess that's when you use an umbrella for real, so if you can test it that way, it's the best way to go about it. Okay, did yeah. you did you give anyone else to test it? Like, or was it just you and close friends? Um, just people close around me, really. Um, oh. It wasn't until later that we got wind tunnel testing and did more official testing with um, with universities and things like that. But um, to begin with, it was it was really just me trying to get insights of how well the product was doing and where I could work on to make it better. Awesome. So that was four years. Um, so it was early two hundred two thousands, right? In when you got the first prototype, is that right? Two thousand uh, four, I think. Was two this prototype but it, it kind of came in waves like prototypes always been refined so um, there was a version of it yeah around 2004. So you refined how, how many versions did you refine before you decided okay let's go commercialize uh, this product? Um, well the initial um, way um, time we commercialized it was actually in 2006 so um, made some in New Zealand because we were really really um, worried about going to China into the industry up there because we heard noises that if you went to the industry it was from like the mafia and um, any idea would just get eaten up and you'd never see anything for it. So mm -hmm. we, we weren't keen to take it to, to China too quickly. Mm -hmm. So we tried to make them in New Zealand and made about 200 units in New Zealand, which was um, quite difficult. <laughs> so working in our garages late at night and just putting these products together was super glue. And um, that was the first time we validated the product in the market. Quite difficult because there wasn't any uh, manufacturers there. Is that right? Or to say? Not for umbrellas. Oh. No. And, Umbrellas are actually really labour intensive to put together for mm -hmm. what they are. Mm -hmm. So um, we could get the components made, no problem, but the whole assembly process and getting the sewing done, there's, there was no industry here. So um, it was never going to stack up, but we had to do it to validate it. So that was the first approach to, to getting them out in the world for real. So how did you do that? Then you went online and learned how to make an umbrella from scratch? Is that how you did it? Well, they're, they're actually quite simple, and because my design was my design, I knew how to make it. And my father had a plastics business, so we could get plastic components made. So, um, and then we got some components out of China and got some canopies sewn up by a local lady who was doing sewing. So, so all the pieces came together, and that final assembly was was where a lot of the work was just to put it together. So, yeah, I knew knew what we were doing. It was just the, the effort it took to do it. Awesome. So um, I don't know if you could reveal your initial investment in this project. Uh, also, before that, were you working or by this time you were fully invested in a blunt? No, the first 10 years of this, I was, was part-time. So um, yeah, working in other jobs. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it wasn't until 10 years down the track that um, it was actually a job for, for real. So yeah, very long time until we actually got proper product mm -hmm. in from, um, from China, mm -hmm. which was in 2009. Mm -hmm. That was a part-time effort. Yeah. So it was throwing basically savings at it mm -hmm. for, um, for the first five years. Mm -hmm. And then in 2007, we got investment from external investors mm -hmm. and uh, they're still with us today. So yeah, awesome. quite drawn out. Awesome. So what was your initial investment? Because you were working and um, and what did you put in for your for your uh, 
yeah, venture. Um, well, it wasn't one lump sum, it was over time. So it's actually quite hard to quantify because when you start out, everything's pretty relaxed. So I was just throwing all my life savings at it, but it was in the hundreds of thousands, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, so that was that's basically my input to get to a point where we could get investment. Yeah, so, so um, it's quite difficult to actually put a number to it. Alrighty, no worries. Um, maybe could you tell us why you decided on producing 200? That's quite a bit. And what if you wouldn't have sold it, you know, like, uh, what would you, what was your backup plan for the umbrellas that wouldn't have gone, uh, you know, wasn't sold? Well, yeah, the way, the way it worked out was, um, we actually got parts to make a, a lot more than that, like a thousand at least. But um, what happened is we made these umbrellas, got them into the shops, and they started to sell. So we actually validated the idea. But what happened is when the weather came and the next storm came, they all started to fall apart. And basically, the issue was that we had a really bad build quality. So we had a good design, but a poor build. So that was um, that meant that we really had to stop. So that was the end of that first production effort, I guess. And so that's when we realised we had to go to the real makers of umbrellas to get it made properly. Oh. So, yeah. So yeah. those, those so, first 200 yeah. that you made were all... Uh, well, 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 they were all bad, right? Or the, they were... Yeah, well, we didn't really know how to make... We knew how to make them but not make them well and there's a whole I guess skill set in making umbrellas in itself so we needed the experts for that to help out but the design was okay it was all good everyone loved that but unless you make it with a really good build quality you're wasting your time so that, that was a lesson learned. So how did you find uh, a, a real uh, manufacturer then? So um, we knew we had to get into the industry in China because that's where all the umbrella makers were but we were very nervous because we thought we only get one go at it so if we get to the wrong factory they and it didn't work out, they would just keep making them. So we had that, that feeling that um, we had to get it right first time. And we ended up finding um, a contact, and it was a, a Kiwi guy who was living in China in the umbrella industry just by chance. So he was incredibly helpful. His name's David Hazenthwaite. Mm-hmm. And he um, he basically drew us in the right direction to get with the right factory, which we're still with today. So we were incredibly lucky to find that factory and, um, and get moving. How did you find that guy? Like online or Alibaba? It was, it, it was just friends of friends, you know, New Zealand's quite a small place, mm-hmm. so everyone seems to know everyone once removed, so it was um, it was just luck really, and it came at the right time because we definitely needed it. Awesome, so okay, yeah. and uh, what was the idea behind the, uh, the brand name Blunt? It really came about, um, we were looking for a name that was punchy and people would remember, but it really was it just, um, I guess it was the fact that it described the product because we haven't got the sharp tips on it. Before that, I was calling it the pointless umbrella, which wasn't really uh, resonating with a lot of people. So blunt, it really just describes what the product is. It's blunt, it's not sharp. And the sharp points was that initial, um, I guess, the initial inspiration for, for wanting to fix the umbrella. So it just fitted. Awesome. So, okay. So you went with this guy in China and he, how many, how many what was the production like? for uh, the first round? So it was um, quite painful actually because it was 2007 when we first met and we didn't get production out until 2009 so there was a two-year time period there where it was um, a lot of not ha- nothing happening and it basically came down to the fact that we were trying to disrupt the way this factory worked because they want to make umbrellas faster and cheaper and um, he'd be working on this product that was going to take a lot more effort to make and they had no confidence that we could even sell it. So. Um, so they didn't do anything for a very long time. So it wasn't until we actually um, put a fair bit of money in to get a good production run done that they actually started to do something. So that was, yeah, it was a big lesson about how much we had to fight to actually get this product through. 
did you have to fly down and talk to them, sign NDAs, stuff like that? Yeah, well, agreements aren't so big in China, but um, we definitely went up there many times. I've been to China over 40 times. So there's a lot of visits and a lot of building relationship and um, doing everything you need to do to, to have a good, yeah, good healthy relationship. Awesome. So, okay. So you got it after two years, the product. What was the, what was your MOQ? 1,000 umbrellas in different colors or what? We actually committed to 10,000 units and that's what we had to do just to get them to make them for us. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we got the first container down to New Zealand and had a look through it and um, I think about half of them were rejects so um and the other half needed a lot of reworking to get into the stores so this was a, another big lesson for us just in quality and you can't assume anything when it comes to quality especially when you're making something on the other side of the world and in the umbrella industry because the standards in the industry just weren't at the level that we needed to do what we needed to do with this product so um, so it was from that day forward that we um we actually put our own quality control systems in place so we have independent people come into the factory and check every single umbrella before they leave which is um, quite a costly exercise but it's something we need to do to get our quality at the level that we need to be at awesome so you were having a job while you're doing all this or were you, did you already leave your your full-time gig by then um once we got the first production out of china then i was full-time on it so yeah so yeah. when you say so, we right is it you and a, a bunch of staff or other members of so the, the first five years it was just me mm -hmm. and then um and then um once i got to a point where i had the product i really needed some help so um, a guy called scott kington got involved and that's together when we um we started doing that first production run to get them sold in new zealand to um, to validate the idea awesome so yeah. you got the first ten thousand umbrellas in 2009 is that correct yeah the first ten thousand were made and um, we only bought half them down to new zealand I think we had to actually write a few of them off because um, the quality wasn't up to scratch. Okay, by then were you actually selling, or you had you made the product first and then decided on marketing it? How did how did how did your uh, marketing yeah, work? Yeah, we, because we done that first um, run in two thousand six. A lot of shops were very eager to get the better version because they knew they would sell. So we did have a few shops that were waiting for them for those years, and they were very patient. But um, yeah, so two thousand and ten, we got into the local shops in New Zealand, and it was actually fairly easy to get started and once we had a few shops on board other people would take it on and um, we went to just a local trade show and uh, people yeah people took it on board and got into it but for the global market that was a bit more difficult because here again we were trying to disrupt the way these traditional distributors do things they um they just basically need umbrellas that break so they can keep selling them yeah. and for us to come along with this <laughs> umbrella that was going to last it just made no sense for their business model so, um, so to get them out there, we had to really set up our own independent distribution network um, around the world. And the only way really to do that was just to make a lot of noise about what we had. And we did that really through PR. So we got a lot of articles written about us. We sent um, samples off to um, some um, magazines to write about us. And everyone seemed to love a new story about an umbrella. So it, it caused a lot of attention. So it was a great start. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, let me just take you back there. So when you first... Um did the, um, you said just now, right, you produced the 10,000 umbrellas from China and then shops were waiting for them. But you said they've already sold it before. Was it with the 200 umbrellas that you made earlier with, um, in New Zealand? Oh, we hadn't, we hadn't pre-sold anything. So everything oh. had to be sold once, once we got here. So oh. we had a bit of stock for a while. Yeah, no, we hadn't pre-sold anything. Oh. No, this is the case of investing in the stock and, um, and doing the work when we got the umbrellas to get them out to the world. So, okay, so the first umbrellas were sold in 2009 from China, right? And that's when everyone was, uh, everyone started taking it and 
selling it, right? Yeah, so we, um, so we basically got container loads. Um, first one was down to New Zealand, where we, we are the local distributor, and we got the local shops going. And it was all small independent shops to start with. And as we got more popular, about three years in, I think we got to a local department store in Auckland. And that's when the popularity of it um, started to go up quite a bit. Once you're in a bigger store, you um, people start to really take notice. And we've just steadily grown from there. So that's how New Zealand's gone. And then globally, we've had um, different distributors through the years. And it's always a little bit of a challenge trying to get the right partners in markets that will actually have the same ambitions as you to get your product out into the market. And it requires a lot of management. And when you're dealing with markets on the other side of the world, there's a lot of different things you've got to put in place to actually make them work effectively. So as a small company, it's, it's been quite a challenge to make that happen. So um, so we've spread quite thin, I guess, to begin with around the world with our product. Like everybody loves it and wants it, but if you don't have all the machine behind it to actually sell it in an effective way, then um, you can have a few problems. So um, so now we're actually, our global strategy now is to actually focus more on specific markets and, um, and go a bit deeper as opposed to going wider with our offering. Awesome. So uh, could you tell me, right, how did you approach the independent sellers? And they would take your product for free and sell it and give you the uh, difference later? Or how does it work? No, no, we, um, it's basically just um, approaching and going to the door with, initially with the product and just to tell them about it and telling them the benefits and the features. And then the trade show, the local trade show attracted a lot of, a lot of people. So we went to that a few times. Um, there's one in Auckland every six months. So just going to that and just, just talking to them about the benefits of a product that's going to last and it's such a great gift and item too so there's plenty of shops out there that just love um, a unique gift and then for us there's also the, the promotional market so corporate gifting that's actually a really big, big market for us because um, people are sick of giving products that are going to break and that sort of thing so we've got really good sustainable credentials so um, so there's been quite a few different channels to market and then there's also been the online market obviously as well we can sell direct to our consumer so we have quite a few options to get our products out there to the world. Yeah, but do this mom and pop shops take it for free first and then give or do they buy no, it? Now? Most of the time they were quite happy to take on like even just a small amount, like six. Uh -huh. So that everyone understood that we were a small startup that didn't have much money. So they understood how it worked, that they had to take the risk themselves uh -huh. to sell them. Uh -huh. So they, they usually started with a small amount and we were happy with that. And then they just grew from there. And once they sold a few, they got confidence and they bought more. So that's okay. generally how it works. So how did you scale up from being a startup to now in New Zealand, Australia? Like, how did that happen? It's just slowly, it's just season by season, you just grow, you get more popularity. And the big scale up really recently has been within our business. And actually, um, I guess going from a startup mode where it's, it's very creatively led to being a bit more business and more process and disciplines and more systems, just even just our, um, our financial systems within the business. Just making that a bit more polished so that um, as you grow you don't get those those pains so um, so yeah it's just been a, a gradual just growth over the years and within the market it's just getting more stores on board and getting bigger stores and then servicing them well so uh, you're also in the uk right where you the idea was conceived so first was new zealand and then did you go to australia or uk Australia was very early. Um, japan was actually quite early as well and japan was a really interesting market because most um, most traditional umbrella distributors wouldn't take us on because we're too expensive. But in Japan, it was quite different because they actually, I guess, appreciated good design and were willing to take a bit more of a risk with something of higher value. So we got to Japan quite early days. And then um, I think the Netherlands was quite early as well, but the UK came a little bit later. 
But yeah, the UK is always been this, this is, I guess, for me, having started it there, to get back there and make it big is, is sort of the ultimate dream, mm. sort of complete that vision. But um, yeah, so we're in the UK ourselves now with our own people. So it's, it's coming along nicely apart from COVID getting in the way. <laughs> no worries. Okay, um, I wanted to ask you this. So it just like crops the sandals. You've managed to stay in business with a single product, if I'm right, right? So um, can you please impart some wisdom on how you do that? Because it's, your business is just based around one single product and you've grown. So is there like a secret recipe? Like to, how do you make your product, um, I don't know, viable and uh, like innovate it? And do you have plans to branch out to other products? Yeah, uh, great questions. Um, yeah, so initially it was, I guess I was, I was just so, I just knew that focus was so important to do one thing and do it well. I've just seen so many people, especially in New Zealand companies and small companies, they try to grow by doing more offering. So I think the, the answer is through being more creative and offering more things. But generally speaking, if you're going to go global, the answer is doing one thing and doing it really well. So going deep with your offering. So that, that was in my head the whole time because I was just tempted through the years to do other things all the time because that's where I come from. I want to be innovative. So, um, so yeah, I guess it's just a discipline of saying, no, you can do one thing and do it well and make it best in the world. So I think that, that was probably key, a big key part to our success. But um, there's definitely been temptations over the years to do other things, that's for sure. So how do you overcome the pressure to produce other products? Pressure. Yeah, because I'm sure people would say, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Because you've, had, you've already had a, a successful product, right? Yeah, well, the reality is that the market is still intact for what we've done. So the runway for umbrellas and what we've got is still huge. So everyone recognises that. So the work isn't in creating more offerings. It's actually from creating, opening up the markets. So that's always been the problem, is, is actually how do you get the same product out to more people. So, um, so yeah, I'd love to be doing something else. And um, we will in the future. But we're just trying to put a bit more of a shape to how that looks. Because we need to continue with that same theme and take an ordinary product and make it extraordinary, like we have with the umbrella. Awesome. Can you just tell me, um, okay, we'll talk about the price. You mentioned it just uh, just now that people were hesitant to take it up because it's expensive, but when I did a deep dive on the product, it has a two-year warranty, and once something happens to it, you can send it back for repairs and stuff like that, So it's which other umbrellas do not offer. Um, so how did you decide on the price point? Because it's about $100, um, an average uh, umbrella so it, it has some of the umbrellas have good designs like if you've, you've um, teamed up with illustrators and uh, but other times it's just plain and it's just a good durable product so what is the the price point the percentage like how do you how do you decide on it and um, it really comes down to the value point I think like um our, our products, because of their lifespan and because they do last, the value you get out of that one product is so much more than a traditional umbrella. And then along the way, your experience of using it is so much better as well. So there's just plus, plus, plus. So that if you're talking money, then it, it kind of distracts from that, that value point. So really for us, it's just about getting enough money to obviously pay for the product, but also so we can do more of what we do well in terms of making better offerings. So, um, so it really comes down to the value. Like if you're going to buy I guess 10 cheaper umbrellas within a two-year period and they all break and it's the same cost as buying a blunt but you get a way better experience and you get more attachment and more more of the emotional connection with your product so it really really is comes back to that value point that we, we talk about when it comes to price 
Awesome. So um, when they do, if something does happen to the umbrella and they send it back for repair, is it free, the delivery and everything? or? Yeah, so everything about our offering is about having you own that product for as long as possible. So there's a whole lot of innovation that we're putting in place to help that. But um, in terms of repair, it's, um, it's, it's about within that two-year period, we'll do anything for free, obviously, to, to keep you going. But if it goes beyond that two-year period, then we have a service that for a minimal, small cost, we will um, we'll fix the umbrella as well. So you're never on your own. So with, throughout the lifetime of that umbrella, we're always with you to, to keep it going and make sure that you have a good experience. So how do they send the umbrella back to you? Do they have a casing that you give when you buy the umbrella? Or? Yeah, so the umbrella does come in a box, but um, that can be, you can put back in for postage if, you, if it needs to come back to us. And um, so there is that option, but it's quite easy to um, just wrap it up and send it to us however you want it to. So we have um, dedicated uh, workshops in Australia and New Zealand that are just dedicated to basically repairing our umbrellas and have all the parts. And as we go into the future, a big part of the way we're designing our products is to, to make them in a, like a system, a modular system of parts that can be easily connected together. So, so the, the latest umbrellas that come out now, the handle actually drops off like, mm -hmm. a, like changing a light bulb. So that if your dog was to chew your handle, then we could just send you out a new handle and you'd clip it on yourself so that you don't have that inconvenience of actually having to send your umbrella somewhere to be repaired. So the same with the canopy, the canopy can be come off and put on. So if three years down the track, you don't like the design of your canopy anymore, you can buy a new one. And, um, and we can send it out to you and, um, and through some basic instructions from a video you can, um, you can replace it yourself. So that's what we're working on for the future. It's just really trying to make our products like a Lego system that you can, um, you can upgrade and accessorize yourself just so that you keep owning it for as long as possible, which is a really nice sustainable story, sustainability story. Yeah, it is. Very, very yeah. good. Uh, so how does, uh, okay, now that I've seen that you're working with some artists to design, um, to make patterns on the umbrella, to give it like you know a kind of swag look like you know so um and i've seen that you've uh, teamed up with the melbourne designer and what is the future on the, in that who else are you looking to collaborate with yeah it's, it's actually a really powerful thing for us these collaborations because it, it um because i guess we have our core sort of like skill set in terms of creating this amazing product that looks good anyway but to be able to put other people's art onto it just takes it to a whole new level so it's sort of like this match of engineering and art and by working with other brands that have their own fan base, their own tribe, it's actually really powerful for us as a brand to be introduced to a whole new audience by partnering with them. So it's just the fact, I guess, that we've got such a um, distinctive um, canvas for people to put their art on that we're quite attractive for this. So for us to go into new markets, like into Australia and Melbourne, um, to actually go and find an artist or a, um, a brand that can resonate with the local market and partner with them, it's, it's a really nice, warm way to enter that market and um, just basically to express us in a whole new way to a whole new group of people. So really powerful, yeah, it's great. Awesome, alrighty. So um, that's all the time we have for today and we've got really good, some good answers from you and um, this would actually help people who have, you know, single product, who want to produce single products in the future, you know, and then they can use your exam, your, your, your success story to, you know, push them forward. So, um, do you have any parting words for any entrepreneurs uh, who might want to do a single kind of product, but they are unsure if it's it is if it's a, work, a workable idea? What would you say to these people? Um, I'd say two things. The first thing is just really test your idea with as many people as you can, because a lot of people, I guess, once you get too far down the track with an idea that maybe isn't right, you can you can waste a lot of time and money. So from day one, just be super super sure that your idea has got the legs. 
And the second thing is just get some good people around you that you, you can trust and actually have been there, done that, to, just to bounce things off so that um, you, um, you're getting the right knowledge. And I think the last thing is um, just it's going to take time, so just be really patient. No, everyone wants everything super quick today, and I guess patience has just gone out the window a bit. So just know that it's if it's going to work and it's going to work long term, it's going to take a long time to get there. So you just got to discuss. I guess just be patient. Know that you will get there if you stick to your path and you've got a good idea. Awesome. Yeah. yeah thank you so much for that, Greg. No problem. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Nice one.